It's Jeff Levering for Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Check out that effortless horizontal window slide and the best lifetime warranties in the industry. Order by April 30th and get 0% for 48 months at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. This it, I wasn't going to talk about this, but it, it's, it's just... It's a flat-out dumb debate, and there's just no other way to describe it. This controversy that's been kind of raging over the last few days in the print media and in the in the uh, and in on TV and in the radio to an extent. The, the Wisconsin Center District, right, the convention center, they are expanding it. You know, they're making all these improvements to it. Well, when the convention center was last built, redefined, or whatever, in, in 1998, what they did is they commissioned this, this quote-unquote, art installation that became part of the building. And what they did is they selected quotations from different Wisconsin writers, etc., and and they put them up. And if you've been to the convention center, you, you've seen these. These are there. There are. It's a permanent installation. It's nothing that you can move. It's part of the walls. And it's um, various Wisconsin writers and stuff. Some, and, and I say some, are indigenous people, but but some aren't. It's just Wisconsin writers. So they're doing this revamp of the convention center. And what they're going to do is the plan was we're going to take down. This, this this piece of artwork, this giant display, you can't you can't save it because it's part of the walls. We're going to just redo the space, and it's become this huge controversy. Oh, you know, how dare you do this? The president and the CEO of the district, Marty Brooks, he's getting all sorts of grief. Well, how did you decide to do this? And some people are trying to say, well, this shows that you say that indigenous people aren't important. It, it's it's nothing like that. They're renovating the center. And in order to renovate the center, what they need to do is they need to change it, and that means they need to take down this installation, art installation, and the reality is you can't just take it apart. You, you have to kind of destroy it because it's part of the walls. And some people are saying, well, this shows that you're not sympathetic to indigenous people and all that. This is It's a completely manufactured controversy. They are making improvements to the district. This would be like saying, Okay, we've got a mural that's up on the wall, and now we're, we're going to like change the architecture and stuff. We're going to change the design, and we're going to paint over the mural. Oh, how dare you paint over the mural? You're insensitive to this. No, it's just it's it's been there since 1998. It doesn't fit in with what their vision is of the the newly revamped convention center 25 years later. And unfortunately, the way it was installed means that you can't save it. But th- this controversy, it just it's just staggeringly dumb. There's just no other way to describe this. And for people who are trying to see this as, oh, this is this huge thing in the CEO is insensitive to indigenous people or, or whatever. No, it, it's just... It's an art installation, which is part of the building. They are changing the building. It means this art installation has to go, period. Nothing more, nothing less, no bigger issues that are there. It's just a classic example of people trying to find a controversy where there is none, which brings me to where we lead off the program.
last, well, a few months ago, um, Ascension, and of course, Ascension is the hospital system that runs a, a number of hospitals. They they took over Columbia St. Mary's, so they've got um, the Columbia St. Mary's that used to be on the east side. That's now Ascension. There's one out in Ozaki County. I believe they've got uh, St. Joe's campus instead. So they've also run St. Francis Hospital, and they made the announcement a few months ago that St. Francis Hospital was going to stop delivering babies. And they announced this in December of 2022. And the hospital essentially said, the reason we are doing this is because we can't provide birthing services because we've lost two of our obstetrical providers. We've got low birthing volumes. No, people aren't using this. They said we had two providers delivering babies at Ascension St. Francis. One physician recently departed our system and another announced retirement effective at the end of 2022. They said, in addition, nationally and locally, birth rates are down. Nationally, birth rates are projected to decline 17% by 2024 and 19.6% by 2026. Locally, this trend mirrors national statistics. Um, And then they talk about how, you know, recent volumes and births are declining dramatically and resulting in lower hospital volumes. So they said, based on the fact that we've lost, you know, the the providers that deliver babies, based on the fact that there's not that many people having, you know, babies anymore in St. Francis, what we're going to do is we're going to shut down our labor and delivery unit. Okay, that that's it's the business decision they're making. We don't have people to deliver the babies. Um, are the the volume of babies being delivered is down dramatically, so we're not going to deliver babies at this particular hospital, um, Ascension St. Francis. They say, well, we're we're not getting out of the business though of delivering babies, and instead of going to the St. Francis facility, um, what you can do is you can go to the St. Joseph's campus. Or you can go to the Columbia St. Mary's Hospital. All right, um, St. Joe's is is on the kind of with the southwest side, and you know Columbia St. Mary's, which is you know on on the east side. There, he said. So you know we're, we just don't have we don't have the doctors to do this. We don't have the volume to justify doing this. So we're we're closing this. All right, and they explained why they they did it. So this has created this kind of controversy, sort of like when people get bent out of shape about, well, how dare Walmart close the Walmart on 103rd and Silver Spring? Well, Walmart closes the Walmart because they say we're we're losing money. We've got all these shoplifting problems. It doesn't make economic sense anymore. I bring this up because yesterday the Milwaukee Common Council unanimously, unanimously called on St. Francis, called on Ascension, to reopen St. Francis. This is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. In a unanimous vote Tuesday, the Milwaukee Common Council called on Ascension, Wisconsin, to reopen the now-closed labor and delivery unit at at Ascension St. Francis Hospital in Milwaukee and put a pause on any further cuts at Ascension Hospital's in the city, the measure received resounding support from council members, all of whom signed on to it as co-sponsors or sponsors. All right, our number is 
855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, so the Common Council is saying, we want you to reopen this birthing unit, despite the fact that you don't have doctors to deliver babies, and there's not enough babies being delivered there to make this a, a viable sort of alternative. But we want you to open, reopen this anyways. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. What should be the response of ascension to this unanimous call to reopen the St. Francis Birthing Center. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Okay, so uh, ascension. And I always do these closures here. I mean, I, I do ads for, for the Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin system. That, that's where I, I go for, for my health care. So uh, ascension. And ascension's had a lot of criticism lately for both nationally and locally for cutbacks that they've made and things like that. But at the end of the day, it is a business. So they announced last December that they're closing the birthing section at the St. Francis Hospital. And they say, okay, we, the bottom line is we don't have anybody to deliver babies anymore. We had two providers. One is retired and one has left the system. And we, we don't have any numbers. The number of people that are going there to give birth are, are just they're, – they're, they're dramatically lower. And it just doesn't make any sense. So you can go to Columbia St. Mary's, the old Columbia St. Mary's, which is on the east side. Or you can go to St. Joseph's, which is on like 50th and Chambers. Or alternatively, I guess you can you can go into some other system if you want. There's plenty of places around to have babies. And it does mean you're going to have to, if you live in St. Francis or that immediate area, you're going to have to travel a few more miles. But it's not like you're going to travel have to travel 200 miles or anything. So the Common Council yesterday passes unanimous resolution calling on on Ascension to reconsider, change this decision, and reopen the birthing center. Okay, so what should Ascension say, given the fact that they don't have doctors to do this and it makes no financial sense to do this? What's the appropriate response to the the Common Council? Let's start with Brian in Port Washington. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I guess I would tell them to, there's an old saying, go pound salt. <laughs> or pound sand, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> or pound sand, I guess. Yeah. But the reality is, is that what is the typical length when a woman goes into labor? It's several hours, usually. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other facilities within 15, half an hour ride, you know, right. to get there. And I guess I would ask the Common Council, we're willing to reopen if you're willing to pay for it. You know what I mean? I mean... Because they're asking them to do something that, you know, this these poor hospitals are having some difficulty getting physicians as well as nursing coverage. Well, right. I so mean, it's a pretty. Yeah, I mean, that would be my question. Where are the doctors going to to come from, and how how are the doctors going to be paid for if you have if this just is? Look, I'll give you. I I have seen. Okay, I've I've seen medical facilities uh, that have closed because. There's just not enough patience there to support them. And it's always annoying. Gee, the, the place across the street from me used to have an urgent care. It wasn't getting enough business, so they closed the urgent care. I'm not happy about it. I love to be able to go to that urgent care. But what am I supposed to say to them? All right, there, there's not enough people to support it, so you got to keep it open anyways. I, I don't think that's the way it works. I think the other thing, you should tell the patients, you know, do you want to go to a place that delivers 20 babies a month or one that delivers several hundred every year, you know, right. they, obviously you want to go to the place where they do the procedure 
you know, often. Well, absolutely. No, no, thanks for calling. I mean, look, and I, I appreciate there there is this appeal to a, a neighborhood hospital. I, I, I get it. And I have nothing against like St. Francis, but from the perspective of Ascension, and I have been critical of Ascension for various decisions that they've made in the past. In, in this particular one, it just it just comes down to a business decision where the, there's not there's not enough doctors and there's not enough patients who are using the facility. It, it again, it, it's sort of like Okay, you've got a you've got a business, and the business it's in a particular area, and for whatever reasons, whether it's theft, let's talk about a Walmart, whether it's theft or whether it's just a lack of interest or whatever, there's not enough patients, there's not enough customers to support a particular business. You know, who is it for the government to come on and say, okay, well, we we want you to stay open. Well, all right, then then figure out a way to pay for it. But of course, that means using taxpayer dollars to do that. Let's. Talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, by the way, we had four Walmarts in Chicago close on Sunday uh, for probably the same reasons that your one in Milwaukee closed. And right. Of course, they received pushback, and uh, but it's like you said, it made didn't make sense to keep them open. And that's what I would say for the response of Ascension to the Common Council is that uh, we, you know, we received a request, but uh, for many reasons, as some of them you stated, it makes absolutely no sense for us to keep it open. Further, there's another facility that is in our network that you can go to. You might have to travel a little further, but um, and that other, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, caller made sense. It's like, okay, well, there's they do a lot more deliveries there, uh, so they have yeah. the personnel on staff. Right. So uh, it just doesn't make any sense to keep it open. Yeah, and, and that's just the reality. I mean, thanks for see we 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 all complain about about rising healthcare costs and and things like that. I mean, everybody complains about that, legitimately so in many cases. Well, one of the reasons, if if you if if you're going to complain about healthcare costs, if you expect the hospitals to underwrite the cost of services. Where, um, all right, we're we're losing money to to keep these physicians on staff and to keep the nurses. We're losing money to do this. Well, we have to make that up somewhere. So we're we're charging other people. And again, it's not like you can't deliver babies on the southern half of Milwaukee County. There are a number of different options that are out there. Now, admittedly, if you live in and around like the the St. Francis area, admittedly, you're going to have to travel a little bit farther, or you might have to consider some hospital that is outside of the Ascension network, if, if that's a big deal. But but it, it's just, it is the way of the world. You know, the, these hospitals are not um, philanthropic enterprises. And as long as if this would be a different story if they said, okay, we're not going to be delivering babies. There's nowhere that anybody can go in Milwaukee County, for example, or in southeastern Wisconsin to have your babies delivered. That that would be a different sort of story, but that's not what they're saying. They're saying this one particular hospital, you know, we've offered these services for years and years, but it, there's no longer the demand for this. So as a result... You know, we're, we're going to close this down, and, and yes, that's going to inconvenience some people. Sorry, but it's just the reality. And so I guess my response to the Common Council would be, okay, fine, we appreciate this, but unless you're going to figure out a way to pick up the freight and subsidize the costs of hiring these doctors and the money that we otherwise lose by continuing to provide the service, unless you're going to figure out a way to subsidize this, um, my, my advice would be, okay, figure out, you know, move on to, to something that you can, in fact, control.
but that's just me. And you, Mike, are looking particularly stylish today in your, your Notre Dame sweatshirt. Did you did you go to Notre Dame? I did not. I had uh, family members who were professors there and who attended there. Ah, I see. I thought maybe we were, this was like a sponsorship opportunity. I didn't go to Notre Dame, but the, the news sponsored by Notre Dame, you know, University, Mike Spaulding. It could be a walking billboard. Uh, I'll try. Next time I wear the Illinois State Redbirds shirt, and it will be a walking billboard. All right. Well, there, there you go. I mean, I think our salespeople should. I think there is an opportunity. Sponsor Mike Spaulding on the news. What sweatshirt is he going to wear? See, that? They're, they're trying to think of ways to make money there. When we come back. All right, it's $787.5 million. Will it make any difference? Stick around. With this new live streaming, one of our texters says, Jeff, I was just about to say that. Uh, GKB, Good Karma Brands, and you, you should sell out spurt shirt space. You guys could look like NASCAR drivers, right? That That's it. So we could all wear, like, baseball caps that could say... I don't know, built-right furniture and mattresses, and I could have an arm patch on one side that says, you know, the freighter at the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network, all these different sort of things. And it would make it easier for me because you wouldn't have to worry about, okay, what are you going to wear on a given day? I don't think we're quite at that point. But this is the whole new world of streaming. Um, okay, let us get started. The Yesterday was the day that the trial uh, the defamation trial against Fox News was supposed to kick off. It was brought by Dominion Voting Systems. And long story short, for those of, and I think everybody's been following the story, but long story short, after the 2020 election, when Donald Trump lost, you had a number of people, starting with Rudy Giuliani and then a, a number of other Trump acolytes, who were trying to peddle different theories indicating that President Trump had been somehow shafted and that he'd really won the popular vote. And one of the arguments was these Dominion voting machines, which were used in several states, that they, they weren't proper, they weren't, you know, act, they were subject to being hacked. And there were all these cases where somebody voted for Trump and it recorded a vote for Biden, et, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this was the, this theory that was being pursued in an effort to try to convince people that Trump actually won. There, there was never any evidence to support that theory. It was false. And a number of the people that went on TV and advocated this, again, the, the Rudy Giuliani's of the world, they were, were peddling these false theories. Well, it would be one thing for like a Rudy Giuliani or Donald Trump to go out in public and make the, these false claims and for it to be reported. Where it gets dicey with Fox News is Fox, apparently, at least I knowing or arguably having serious questions about whether or not there was any accuracy to these claims. You know, they provided they provided the forum for people to make these false claims. And then they, they took it a step farther and a number of their hosts went out and repeated and sort of adopted the, these baseless claims. And they did so not, not believing that they were, that they were true, but they did so 
knowing that these things were false, or at least they, there's all these emails that show they were extremely skeptical about this, or in many cases they just flat didn't believe it, but they repeated them as if they were true in an effort to pander to the audience because they thought that's what their audience you know, meant to hear. So um, Dominion Voting Systems turns around and, and they sue Fox for defamation. It's a very, very high standard um, to try to prove defamation because, first of all, you have to establish that, that the information that was reported was false. But then you have to establish that the reporting was done essentially with, with malice, knowing that it was false. And in this particular case, which it, de- defamation is very, very difficult to, to prove, because typically the, the broadcaster will say, well, well look, I, I'm just, I was repeating, you know, what somebody else said, or I, I had a good faith, qu- I, look, I trusted Rudy Giuliani, I, I believed that what he said was true, so that's why I adopted my positions. Well, in this case, a lot of the Fox broadcasters, they've got emails from them saying, we thought this was crazy to begin with, but yet they go on the air and they parrot this as if they do in fact believe it, when they knew, or apparently, yeah, they knew, they knew that these were false claims. And so that's what exposed Fox to a ton of liability. Dominion was suing for $1.6 billion. And as I said before, I, I, I thought that damage number was extremely high. I thought that there was very little chance that they were going to be able to get an award that withheld appeal for anything close to that. But anyhow, this would have been a very, very embarrassing trial for Fox News, because you would have had a number of their stars, you would have had Rupert Murdoch, who is the owner, who would have to testify, and when there were all these documents where they're saying, you know, we're, we don't believe this, but yet we reported it. It would have been a very embarrassing trial, and I think from a defamation perspective, I, I think whatever the dollar amount damages were, I think Fox had some liability because of the unique facts and circumstances of this. So anyhow, right before opening statements are supposed to be made yesterday, they announced that there is a settlement and Fox News is going to pay $787.5 million. Um, this is one of the largest defamation settlements in history, and they're going to pay it to Dominion Voting Systems. There's going to be no acknowledgement of wrongdoing, no apology, but they're still writing the check, and that tells you all that you need to know. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Here is my question. Fox News has settled this matter. They've got other lawsuits that are against them from other different places. I think the other lawsuits are going to be a much more difficult, uh, a much more difficult push. In the Dominion voting system case was, I think, clearer just because of a lot of the discovery materials that had come out regarding this. But so Fox News, $787 million, huge check that's being paid. My question is, how do you feel about this? Are you going to stop watching Fox News because of this particular settlement? And more importantly, because of the way they handled this this whole voting system thing and the Dominion matter after the election, where we now all know that this line that was being perpetrated, that these machines were somehow broken or corrupt or whatever, we, we know that that was bull. Is this going to affect Fox viewership at all? Yes or no, and why? 
855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I have a theory on this. I will share it with you, and we will discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I, I, I think this particular defamation suit, I, I think it's a one-off. To that, I mean... Defamation is very, very difficult to prove um, against a media outlet, and I think that that's probably a, a good thing in general. In this particular case, you had a unique set of circumstances, including all sorts of documented evidence indicating that a number of the Fox News hosts who repeated the, the false claims made by Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump and others, they, they repeated these, they adopted them as their positions, knowing that they were, if not untrue, knowing that they were unlikely to be true. And that created, I think, a liability issue that does not exist in the typical situation, whether it's CNN or MSNBC or The Washington Post or The New York Times or The Journal Sentinel or Fox News. 855-616-1620. But my question is, is this going to... Is this going to impact on your viewing? Will people say, okay, they, they paid all this money and this is how they handled this particular thing and some of the talking heads were talking about stuff that they didn't, that they knew that wasn't going to be true. Is this going to affect any viewing habits? My answer is I, I seriously doubt it. I, I think that the people who don't like Fox News and don't watch Fox News, well, this this is not going to motivate them to suddenly watch Fox News. And I think for most fans of Fox News, they're going to view this as, a, well, Fox News got caught up in this, and, and yeah, they, they should have known better, and they should have done perhaps better, but and I'm getting a number of texts that make this point, but this is kind of what happens, and it's no different than what happens on MSNBC or CNN. This was just an extreme sort of case. 855-616-1620. Will this impact um, stuff. Jeff, I heard that Fox News didn't mention the settlement with Dominion on their air yesterday. The hardcore Fox viewers won't care that Fox News is a proven lying machine. That's the texter's words. Those viewers will just continue to demand what they want to hear from Fox. Jeff, I stopped watching Fox News about three years ago when I realized that they were just as biased as CNN and MSNBC. Our mainstream media right now is broken and it's causing much of the division in this country today. Jeff, this won't hurt their viewership because they're telling their viewers what they want to hear. Their viewers are gullible, narrow-minded people. This is one of our texters saying about those of you who are fans of Fox News who just want their thoughts confirmed by Fox whether or not there is any truth in them. Jeff, we are not big watchers of Fox News. We think that if Fox News had to have their three personalities uh, testify, the penalty might have been much more than what they settled for. Again, I don't think this is going to impact on the viewership of Fox News at all. What I do think it will do and what it should do for Fox News commentators and the, you know, Rachel Maddows of the world and the Don Lemons of the world. I, I do think it should make everybody kind of take a pause and simply say, okay, if we are going to, if we are going to become advocacy journalists, that is, you know, we're, we're not just going to be, okay, this is what Donald Trump said or this is what Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani said, but rather we are going to, you know, be advocacy positions. We're going to come on. We're going to argue about stuff. We're going to advance positions. We need to, number one, be more careful about that. But number two, if we harbor doubts about particular positions, we better be more careful 
in just, you know, parroting what we've heard the Donald Trump of the world or the Rudy Giuliani of the world or the AOC of the world or the, you know, fill in the blank of the world rather than just adopting this position. If, in fact, we doubt that it is accurate, maybe we need to rethink this. And I think that's what you're going to see some of the newsroom editors who are going to do as well. It's going to be, and the producers, it's going to be, look, if this is a situation where you have serious doubts about whether or not something is accurate, you, you better be careful about going on the air with it. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think that that's kind of the standard that I think I've employed for 28 years, full and part-time in this market, which is, you know, you, you don't tell the audience something that they want to hear because you think that's what they want to hear. You, you tell them what you think, and it it's... I mean, you, you can be wrong. It's not defamation to be wrong. It's defamation when you know you're wrong and you continue to blast ahead. And that's where I think Fox got in a lot of trouble. There's no question about it. Jeff, when I was helping my neighbor with something yesterday, he had on Fox News like nothing had happened. I also could tell he was a longtime viewer when the names of people came up in our conversation. Based on that inadvertent qualitative research, I think Fox News will be okay. I think that they're going to be, you know, okay as well. Jeff, Rupert Murdoch's empire is worth 21.7 B as in billion dollars, 787.5 million is chump change. Well, I'm not going to go as far as to say that $787.5 million is chump change. This this clearly is, is a blow, but it, it could have been worse. And actually, I agree with one of the other texters. What might have been even worse, though, is dragging this thing out and having you know, Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and whoever else, you know, have to testify and explain why, you know, they went on the air and articulated certain things that they articulated um, when they were sending out memos saying, we don't think that this is true. And I guess if that's anything that comes of this, that it makes, it, it's not saying that you can't have liberal voices, it's not saying that you can't have conservative voices, but maybe what we need to do is find people who at least have legitimately held beliefs that they are articulating and they are arguing about, and that if in private you're saying this is Looney Tunes, that you shouldn't be on the air publicly advocating something that you do not believe in in private. That's, I think, one of the lessons that might come out of this. And I think, you know, that would be good. But like I say, I think this is kind of a one-off sort of case. This is an extreme situation. I don't think it's going to necessarily change defamation law in any material way, but it might make hosts in particular think, okay, before I'm going to take certain positions, is this something I legitimately believe or think I can make a good faith argument about, as opposed to simply, oh, Rudy Giuliani said it or Sydney, whatever her name is, they said it, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to just parrot this knowing that I think it's crazy. That, If that's what this comes out of this, that might be a good thing for everybody, conservative, liberal, whatever. Is it going to uh, dramatically change the way Fox News does business? No. Is it going to dramatically hurt the ratings? Absolutely not. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. As we've been telling you for the last several days, you can now watch 
This program and all of our favorite WTMJ shows were streaming live on video from our studios at the Avenue. You can watch online at WTMJ.com, the mobile app, the WTMJ YouTube page, and on all our social channels. You can look while you listen with the WTMJ video stream, and it does change the way we do business a little bit. Wyatt Barmore Pooley, one of our listeners, wants to know, why is he wearing a hat? (laughs) I'm wearing a hat because I had to pick up my car from the repair shop today and did not have time to shower. I have pretty long hair right now, so it was a bit of a mess. And since I know we're streaming now, I didn't want to uh, advertise that to the world. We cannot get away with anything anymore. That That's just the, one of the listeners. Why is he wearing a hat? You know, I, I, said, I, I said, I don't know. I'll ask him. So Yeah, you used to be able to get away with a face for radio. Uh, well, or clothing for radio or whatever. But right, no, no more. It, it's... You know, people can tune in and can see what that's what they look like or why are they wearing that particular stuff. So one of our listeners was curious. They were obviously watching on the stream and they were curious. So yeah, that makes is, sense. This is one of my best winter hats. It's got me through uh, college in Syracuse. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well, it, it that is the explanation. Wyatt wanted to make sure that he was here on time getting, you know, his job done. And so... That that's that is the that's the thing, and so we appreciate that. All right. Yeah, you can see the mane of hair tomorrow. Okay, there you, <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, that, that's going to be the new thing. Okay, you not only have to do a compelling newscast or a compelling radio broadcast and talk show thing, but you also have to be prepared to explain why are you wearing that particular color or that. All right, or that that's that that's good enough. We can we can handle that. We'll be able to deal with it. All right. Speaking of dealing with things, th- it's it's a horrible story that raises one of these kind of larger questions that, that's out there. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know I talk repeatedly about the the reckless driving that is in the community, and I also talk about you know, one of my pet peeves is the number of people out there who think that driver's licenses are suggestions as opposed to needs. That is, they, they think that, oh, you know, what what's the big deal? So I, I don't have a driver's license. I'm going to drive anyways. And, and we, unfortunately, make it easy for that to happen because there's really no penalty at all for driving without a valid driver's license. You get caught driving on a suspended driver's license or driving without a valid license. You, you get a ticket. And then what happens is you ball up that ticket. You throw it in the back seat. You, you never pay it. And then you get caught a week later. You're driving again. There's no consequence at all as a general rule for some people. Now, for most of us. You know, that would be a big deal. Hey, you get caught driving without a suspended license, and that means you probably don't have insurance on your car, and it would be big consequences. But there is a there is a subset of people who just don't give a rat's rump about whether or not they, they have things like driver's licenses. Licenses, we don't need no licenses. And it only becomes a problem for them when something bad happens. And I don't mean bad as in, hey, you run the red light and you, you even, you know, you get involved in an automobile accident because yeah, chances are, you know, if somebody doesn't get hurt, nothing bad is going to happen to you. Yes, the, the person that you've hit, you know, their, their insurance company is going to end up paying because you probably don't have insurance and things like that. But that's not really your problem. Well, this is a story where... A guy without a license finds himself in a lot of trouble. You might have heard this story. It happened April 14th, which was, um, well, last Friday, uh, 91st and Good Hope. According to the criminal complaint, about 8.30 in the morning, 15-year-old young man, um, uh, his name is Donquise Caldwell. Um, he was a student at Vincent High School. 
And um, he and a buddy leave Vincent High School around 8.30 in the morning to go to a Walgreens to get some candy. Now, let me just back up for a step there. This is only relevant in the, the larger sense. I didn't realize nowadays that you could just come and go from from high school campuses as you chose. You know, when I was a when I was in high school at Nicolay High School as a child of the seventies, they had open campuses and people could, you know, you you could you could you, if you had a, a third out, you didn't have a class third period, you you could leave and you can get in a car and you could go down to McDonald's or whatever. I didn't realize that you know we we have open campuses in today's day and age, but apparently we do. So eight thirty in the morning, this young man and one of his friends they leave the campus, they go to Walgreens to get some candy. They're heading back to school. They're in the median strip. Now, this is 91st and Good Hope, if you can kind of picture it. It's a, it's a big area. When they get to the middle of the road, what happens is the 15-year-old decides to, to cross, cross the street into traffic, and he gets, he gets into the road. He's kind of like walked out, and apparently he realizes that there's cars coming. Um, the driver of this particular car says, I mean, he, he sees, he sees one of the kids dart into the street as if he was trying to beat the oncoming car. And in, in the law, that, that's, there's this term. It's called dart outs where, you know, somebody comes running between two parked cars or whatever. This sounds like the classic dart out situation. The 15 year old decides to run across the street, doesn't have the right-of-way, and then kind of freezes. Apparently, the driver um, tries to, to change lanes. He sees that this kid has run into the street. He tries to change lanes to avoid hitting the kid. He, he doesn't. Um, after the crash, his windshield shatters. He's covered with glass. He continues through the intersection, but then... Unlike what typically happens in these hit situations where the person drives off, the driver stays on the scene. He calls 911. He, he doesn't. And I, I, it's interesting to me because based on this factual description, if this was all there was, I'm not sure that there would be any sort of liability at all because it sounds like the 15-year-old ran into traffic. And, you know, that sometimes, as horrible as it is, sometimes if you're driving and somebody runs out into the street, um, I, that, I think the speed limit there is 40 or 45 miles an hour. Could be wrong, but it's, it's somewhere in there. So, I mean, if you're driving along, you've got the right of way, and all of a sudden somebody runs into traffic and, and you hit them, it, it's not necessarily going to be your, your fault. That's just the reality. In this particular situation, it does sound like it was a dart out. So the kid runs out into traffic, shouldn't have tried to get across, and under a normal circumstance, I'm not sure the driver would be responsible. I mean, by that I mean he's responsible, I mean he hit the kid, but I'm not sure he did anything wrong. Well, all right, that's not the situation here, because it turns out that the guy driving the vehicle, it turns out that he... His name is Shaquen Thompson, 25 years old. He does not have a valid driver's license. Um, his driver's license had been suspended a while back. They had several operating after suspension tickets. So this is another one of those situations where the guy loses his license. He said he lost his license because of failure to pay fines. He continued to drive repeatedly after losing his license 
and continued to accumulate ticket after ticket after ticket and didn't pay those. And pretty soon you get to this point where, as he says to investigators, once you get so many tickets, you you can't catch up. He says he was trying to get his license back. But again, I, I don't know how you try to get your license back after you've accumulated this many tickets. The complaint describes him as a habitual traffic offender. His license was revoked in December of 2022, and prosecutors noted seven operating after suspension convictions. Now, like I say, if he had had a valid driver's license under these circumstances, you can make a very strong argument that there wouldn't have been any sort of criminal behavior at all. I mean, if somebody runs in front of your car and you hit them, well, okay, that's not automatically going to be your fault. However, there is a law that says that if you cause serious bodily damage, injury, or kill somebody, While you're driving with a suspended license, it is a felony, and you are looking at up to six years in prison. The argument being that even if you did nothing wrong, like this particular situation, let's assume it for the sake of argument, there was a dart out, even though you did nothing wrong in driving, and even though the accident, the collision, whatever, was unavoidable, because you should not have been on the road in the first place, because you didn't have a valid driver's license, you are looking at up to six years in prison. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. My question to you is, what should happen to the driver? Because, again, you can make an argument that under these circumstances, if he had a valid driver's license, There would be no criminal charges. Maybe there'd be a lawsuit, but there'd be no criminal charges. But because he didn't have a license, he's looking at six years in prison. What do you do with him, assuming he is, in fact, guilty? That is, driving without the license um, and hitting and killing somebody, even though it wasn't necessarily his fault. Do you send him to prison? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. If you're just tuning in, this it's a horrible story from last Friday, 8.30 or so in the morning. This 15-year-old who goes to Vincent High School leaves the campus. I, again, I, I'm just I'm kind of surprised that we have open campuses, but leaves the campus to go to a Walgreens to get candy. And on his way back, he's 91st in Good Hope. He's crossing the street. He Essentially, he's crossing. He doesn't have the right of way. Gets tries to like race cars that are coming. Kind of it sounds like he sort of freezes. Tries to get back. A guy is driving and sees him. Tries to avoid the kid, but hits him. And I, it, it seems to me that this is one of those situations. The man stops after he hits the kid, where. There, there would not be liability, certainly not criminal liability. I mean, sometimes people just run out in front of you, and, you know, that's what, what it appears happened in this case. Because, though, the guy that's driving the car does not have a valid license, it was suspended several months ago, he has multiple situations of operating without a license. Because of that, he's looking at six years in prison. Um, all right, your, your reaction to this, um, it's only because... It's only because he doesn't have a license that he's looking at this kind of jail time. Does that change anybody's opinion? Let's start with um, Hal in Hartford. Hal, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Uh, you want to know my story? I'm guessing. Sure. My father-in-law was my father-in-law was killed uh, by a guy who was working at the time, 
and crossed the center line. Obviously, a little bit different situation than you're talking, but he had had he had no license. He had been suspend had a suspended license and been caught numerous times, mm-hmm. and uh, still was driving and and working, and crossed the center line and killed my father-in-law. Mm-hmm. So as I said totally different situation but i i just cringe every time i hear somebody driving without a license yeah no i, I i'm with you I mean, no thanks to call and that that's kind of where i come that that's that is definitely where i come down on this hell but i mean there, there are points in this guy's credit he i i don't it, at least under my scenario it doesn't sound like i don't think he was driving recklessly it doesn't sound like he was going 90 miles an hour or anything like that now maybe facts will be emerged that change that but i don't think so i think this was a case where the young man made the bad decision to walk into traffic but 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 the reality is this does not happen if this guy had not been on the road and he wasn't supposed to be on the road and i'm with you it it frustrates me i give him credit for stopping all right. Give him credit for calling 911. Give him credit for owning up to what he did. But he was still in violation of the law. Do you put him in prison for six years? That's a whole different story. I, I don't know about that. But I do know that this is a situation where somebody is dead because somebody who was behind the wheel of a vehicle when they shouldn't have been behind the wheel of a vehicle. And we have to start holding people accountable. Now, candidly, and I have argued this before. I, I think it's too bad you have to wait for something like this to happen before we take this seriously. And you just wonder if maybe when the guy was stopped for his second or third or fourth or fifth operating after revocation, if we had done something then to get him off the street, even if it's only two months in the house of correction or whatever, we we wonder if maybe that would have given the idea that you can't just continue to drive without a license. And so it's unfortunate to me that, that we didn't intervene earlier, and this is the stuff that inevitably happens when we don't. But he shouldn't have been behind the wheel of the car, and I'm sorry, I don't have any sympathy for this situation. Do, do you max him out? I don't know. That's a whole different story. But does he need to go to prison? Absolutely. Let's talk to uh, Tony in Watertown. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Good, good afternoon. Hi, Tony. Um, I, I agree. I agree with you on that. He's not going. He doesn't get up to six years for hitting the kid. He's getting up to six years for breaking the law continuously, not getting a license. And you're right. Should he get a little break? I agree. Maybe not six years, but he's got to go to jail. And he's got to let people know that if you're driving without a license, you could do something that's not your fault. But the problem is you're driving without a license, and that's your fault. And he's got to pay for that. I um yeah, Tony, I, I'm I'm with you entirely, and. and- I guess maybe the the talking point of this, and this is why I did this topic in this perspective, is when you think about this, every time there's somebody that's out there on the road driving without a license and they get caught, this this can happen. It, It doesn't, thank God, but it can, in fact, happen. Why do we only wait until somebody gets killed, a 15-year-old gets killed by the person driving without the license before then we say, okay, well, now now we got to drop the hammer on this guy. And, and, and I agree, we, we do. He shouldn't have been there. Maybe if we would take it more seriously in the first place and say, you know, driver's licenses are more than a suggestion. And, and for most of us, they, they are. Most of us would never consider 
losing our driver's licenses voluntarily. And if we did lose our driver's licenses, we, we'd say, okay, well, we've got to make alternative arrangements. But there is a certain subset of people who, for whatever reasons, well, I need my car. I, I've got to drive. Or, and again, we reinforce this behavior because we say there's not going to be any sort of consequence. This is the inevitable thing that comes from us turning the other cheek and looking the other way time after time after time. And now this guy, you know, lands smack in a pot of jam, you know, and, and there's there's no question about it. He's got to go to prison. But maybe, just maybe, wake up legislators and start saying, all right, for people who get caught driving without a license, their second or the third time or whatever, so they know they're doing it, maybe maybe it's time to, to go to jail, not for 10 years, but maybe it's time, you know, 60 days in the house a correction. You're not going to like that. Maybe it'll motivate you to stay behind the wheel until up behind from away from behind the wheel until you get your license back. Jeff, absolutely. Do you not pass go? You do and you do not pass go and you go to prison. You you had no driver's license. Um well, okay, that's you know, that's the question there. And if you don't punish him now, you know, what's going to happen? Um uh, Jeff, I'm sorry, but I do feel he needs to do some jail time. Somebody is dead. Yeah, I, somebody is dead. My only point is you shouldn't have to wait for somebody to die before we get to the situation where we say that driving without a valid license is a big deal. But unfortunately, too many people don't view it that way, and our criminal justice system doesn't consider it to be a big deal unless and until this happens, and that's too bad. You know, we've been talking a lot about the, the live streaming and the fact that you can now watch us because we have all the cameras, but don't want to lose sight that there's all sorts of other ways you can take in the shows, including our podcasting, which we're now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts, in addition to you know WTMJ.com. You can check it out. And I've always, I'm just always very pleasantly surprised and pleased with you know how many people download the podcasts and listen regularly if they're not in a position to be able to listen in real time when we do the show from noon to three central time i told the story the other day i was at the at the gym and i'm walking in it was saturday morning and guy who's on one of the treadmills says you're jeff wagner i said i am he said i'm listening to you on the podcast for your podcast right now and my response was Thanks. And then I thought, that's kind of spooky. But yeah, here I am in the flesh. So you can check out the podcasts as well, and we appreciate that quite a bit. All right. Hey, Brewers baseball coming up in less than an hour. What a great start for the the Brewers. All right. Here is what I want to discuss, though. I want to discuss where the dough is going to come from and should people pay their fair share? Now, fair share is an interesting concept, given the fact that taxes were due for most people, you know, yesterday, unless you got an extension. Uh, the Brewers want somewhere in the neighborhood of $290 million for improvements to to the ballpark. I think that's an inflated number, but that's just me. But regardless, let's work with $290 million. Tony Evers his proposal was, let's take $290 million out of the state budget. We've got this surplus, and let's give it to the brewers. And in exchange for giving it to the brewers, we'll that allows them to, to make improvements to the stadium. And then what we'll do is they'll agree to sign on for an extra 10 years. That That's that's the plan. That That has been a controversial sort of plan because, well, there are still a lot of people who do not view the, the Brewers as a statewide asset. Now, by that I mean there are people in Manaqua 
and Marinette and Bayfield and all over the state who say, hey, we like baseball or we don't necessarily like baseball. But, you know, we we get no we here in our particular part of the state, we get no benefit at all to baseball. So to the extent there is a benefit to having Major League Baseball in southeastern Wisconsin, that maybe you get people to travel there and they spend money and things like that, it, it doesn't translate to the rest of the state. There are other people who, even if they accept the fact that there is a benefit, object to the fact that you have, you know, um, you have Major League Baseball players who make millions of dollars and owners who have franchises where you, you pay X amount of dollars for them. And now they're worth like a billion and a half or whatever, who've made an incredible um, rate of return. They object to the fact that, you know, why should my tax dollars be used to support that? So you, you've got that tension that is out there and it it is it's an issue and this is an issue that cuts across party lines because you have again republican and democrat legislators who hear from their constituents who say we just we do not think that this is an appropriate use of our tax dollars now i am a baseball fan i i think it's in let's at least in my opinion it is impossible to argue that the state the region and our immediate area is not better off given the fact that you have Miller Park, now American Family Field, that, that's been there for a number of years and that you've had, you've had baseball. I think it has been an asset. And given the way that government throws around money, I think you can argue that the money that was generated by the five county sales tax was money well spent. But now the sales tax has expired. There's no way that you reinstitute that. There's just no political will for reinstituting this sales tax. So the question becomes, let's use this $290 million. Let's say we need to get $290 million. Where is that going to come from? The, the idea of just taking it out of the, the budget and giving it to the brewers, it, it's not going to be part of the budget. It, it's, a, it's a non-starter. And the question becomes, you know, what's going to happen? So Robin Voss, who is the assembly speaker, he says, look, it's not realistic to expect that the state's going to bear all the responsibility for what is a local project. And um, Voss is suggesting that, look, what what is probably going to happen here is something that's going to resemble what was done when we built Pfizer Forum in 2015? Pfizer Forum, for people who might remember this this dispute, we, we had the same sort of argument, but it was in a cl- slightly different context. In With Pfizer Forum, what happened is it was built with a combination of money um, that was $203 million came from Wisconsin. $55 million was funded directly by the state. Another $55 million was provided by reducing Milwaukee County's annual share of state revenue over several years. So that they had to pay for it that way. And the remaining $93 million came from the Wisconsin Center District. So um, they had funding, which... It was, it was an increased tax on things like restaurants and car rentals and a $2 surcharge on tickets for events 
at the FISER forum. And then the city provided $47 million from two tax incremental financing districts. Um, so it was a combination. We, we got FISER done, and then the Bucks put in a, a bunch of money. So it wasn't like all in the taxpayers, uh, the backs of the taxpayers of the state of Wisconsin. It was, yes, the taxpayers of the state of Wisconsin are con- going to contribute money. But we're also getting money from the brewers. We're also getting money um, from the county, and we're getting money from the city. So you have a, a number of partners. So what Voss is saying is that, look, if this is going to get done, it's unreasonable to expect the state to do it all. There's going to need to be con- contributions from the county, and there's going to need to be contributions from the city. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Here's my question. Is that an unreasonable position? Now, I guess the easiest thing to do if you want to keep the brewers is just say, okay, we're, we're going to take you know $290 million or whatever the dollar amount is, and we're going to have it come from the state taxpayers. Is it unreasonable to say, you know, no, everybody needs to have skin in the game, and that is... Yeah, the state needs to recognize that American Family Field is an important asset um, and it, it needs to be supported and it's a benefit to the state. But at the same time, there's no question that the Brewers and American Family Field has, I, I think, a disproportionately positive impact. And it's got a positive impact, but it, it certainly has a greater impact on the city of Milwaukee and on the county of Milwaukee than it does on La Crosse County or Eau Claire or, you know, Bayfield or whatever. So is it unreasonable to expect Milwaukee County and the city of to contribute something to, you know, getting these improvements made and keeping the brewers here? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. A number of people are asking, what, what is the proposed contribution the brewers have to this? And, and my answer is I don't think it's anything. The, the club has a lease which has a requirement that the stadium district, which is a a state-created entity, pay for capital improvements to the ballpark. That lease expires at the end of 2030, although the brewers have the option of extending it. And the the estimate is that the renovations are going to cost $400 million, which which I think is grossly overinflated. I mean, a a couple years ago, the study came out, and they said it was going to be a fraction of that. Um, so I, I think that's a grossly inflated number, but it's the number that the Tony Evers administration is working with. So the idea is $290 million, and if you put it in now, it, it would, and you give them the money up front, then you, you don't have to worry about these things. The stadium is owned by a state-created agency, Southeast Wisconsin Professional Baseball Park District, and is leased to the Brewers. So the Brewers' argument is, hey, this, this is under the terms of our lease, you know, you have to make the improvements. You are the landlord. We're not on the hook for any of this. And um, I, I guess I, I just the, the larger point, it, it's not do we want to try to do something to keep the brewers? I think the answer is is yes. Do we want to try to make them have a commitment that goes beyond just what Evers is talking about, which is just a 10-year extension? I, I think the answer to that would be yes as well. But I do think it's a fair question to say, okay, while the state has a responsibility to contribute in this fashion, you know, is it fair to say to Milwaukee County, is it fair to say to the city of Milwaukee County, to the city of Milwaukee, you need to put some dough in here as well. 
Let's talk to Sam in Milwaukee. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks Hi, uh, for having me. Sure. Um, great job, by the way. Love your show. Thank hey, you. Um, years ago, Antonazio bought that team for $223 million. Um, I think the latest number now, it's worth $1.28 billion. Yep. So he's already paid a billion dollars on this in 18 years. Um, Let's just, let's just hypothetically say he wants to be a, just a good guy like Herb Cole was when he gave $100 million to the Bucks for the Fiserv. Within How many years would it take Antanasio to make up that $100 million? Three years? Four years? Maybe? Yeah, maybe. I think they're that, that right. I think it's the Major League Baseball, NFL, these, all these billionaire owners, the league's got to crack down on them and say, hey, listen, when these sorts of things come up, you've got to do the right thing. You can't. You said earlier, pay your fair share. Well, I do pay my fair share. Mm-hmm. I pay one hundred and fifty dollars for two tickets to go see a game. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's not, 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 not to mention the eighteen dollars. Not to mention the twelve dollars beers and the eighteen dollars drinks. Now, thanks for calling. I'm sorry, we were getting a little bit of, of bleed through on there. Well, I look and I, I, I you know, and I, I've said this before. I, I'm very, I'm not sympathetic. To owners, NFL owners, NBA owners, um, Major League Baseball owners who, who plead poverty. Oh, we can't resign this player. We can't do this or whatever because, you know, we don't have as much revenue because of exactly the point Sam just made. Owning a Major League Sports team is a license to print money. Look at just what happened with, um, with, uh, with Mark Lazary, the owner of the, one of the partial owners of the Bucks back, you know, nine years ago for an investment of, I don't know, 125 million or 150 million or whatever that number was. Okay, nine years later, he sells that for 800 and some million dollars. That is one heck of a rate of return. So for for owners of sports teams, you you get your payout when you cash out. That's typically what it is. But but having said all that, it, it is a competitive environment. There's only X number of major league teams to go around, and there's only X number of venues. And in this particular case, American Family Field is owned by the, the state. Um, it, it's owned by the, the state. So there, and you've got they've got a lease. So is it fair to say to the people who are the le- the, the people who are the beneficiaries of the lease, the tenants, in other words, you know, you have the obligation for making these improvements. That's like kind of saying, hey, I, I'm I'm a renter, um, and am, am I supposed to be responsible for, I don't know, putting in, you know, a new plumbing system in my apartment? No, Mr. Landlord, that's, that's your responsibility. It's not right to ask me to do it. So I think it's a tough call to say to the tenants, Okay, we need you to contribute to a building that belongs to somebody else, in other words, the state. But I do think it is reasonable for the state to say, look, you know, we're, we're a party to this, and we've got skin in the game, and, and we're going to make a contribution. But at the same time, recognize that the largest benefit, not the exclusive benefit, but the largest benefit to the state as a result of having the brewers here, comes to southeastern Wisconsin in general and the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County in particular. And, yes, we expect you to have some skin in the game, just like happened with Pfizer Forum. And I think what you're going to see is that's going to be the model, um, and, it, and it might require some legislative changes to do this, but that's going to be the model because otherwise it's just not sellable politically. That, that's the other reality. And this is something that crosses 
crosses aisles. It's not just Republicans. It's not just Democrats. But there are people, what I will describe as outstate, even who are baseball fans, are saying, wait a second, you know, you, you can do a lot with $290 million, and why are we, you know, sending it to southeastern Wisconsin for the, the billionaire owner of, of the baseball team? It's just from a political perspective, you've got to kind of share, I think you have to figure out a way to, to share the expenses. Is that a problem for around here? Well, well, yeah. But you look at the way the Common Council spends money. I would describe the way the Milwaukee Common Council spends money as a drunken sailor, but that would be an insult to drunken sailors. This is the same Common Council, I know I'm on my high horse about this, who, who wants to take $15 million that they do not have and use it to tear down the Northridge Shopping Center instead of taking a deal from a private developer who will take the mess that is Northridge off their hands, create four or 500 jobs, and, and there will be no city expense at all. But the city wants to spend $15 million to tear down Northridge on the hope that they're suddenly how going to, I don't know, create a, a Disney World North on, on that scene or be able to bring Northridge back to the way it was in the 1980s. It's just crazy. The way the Common Council just pees away money is disgraceful. So, I mean, I'm not sympathetic when they plead poverty or we don't have this money. When you can, again, when you can kill a deal that would save you $15 million and get a business going at Northridge, I'm not sympathetic. The city of Milwaukee, don't tell me that you don't have money to contribute to improvements to American Family Field to help keep the brewers here when city of Milwaukee in general and Milwaukee County in particular are the greatest beneficiaries. Will this get done? Yes. Will there be some whining and some gnashing of, of teeth and some hand wringing over? Well, how can you expect the county to contribute? How can you expect the city to contribute? Well, okay, maybe they need to have their priorities. And I would argue that there's a lot of better, there's a lot of priorities like keeping the brewers that should involve the expenditure of money as opposed to Okay, let's try to buy property to, you know, have a, a an extension of this trolley line at some time in the future. There's all sorts of ways that the city of Milwaukee could come up with the dough if it wanted to, and I think it's going to have to if this deal is going to get done. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Wyatt, did you say sleet? Sleet on Saturday and Sundays? I did say that. Okay. I don't often have good news with the weather, Jeff. Well, <laughs> well at, at some point, but sleet. I mean, look, I understand. Look, I grew up here. I, this, this, I, this is home for me, and I, I understand. Bob, give me some of that climate change, though. I mean, for goodness sakes, I, I appreciate that you've got a fall, and you've got a winter, and you've got a spring. But, okay, late April, and we're talking sleet on Sundays, for goodness sakes. They tricked you last week, didn't they, with the sun? They did, but I'm not complaining, though. I, I had a... I had I got to play golf twice, um, nine holes. When a week ago Wednesday afternoon, a week ago today, and it was it was warm, but it was like that forty mile an hour wind, and that that was kind of tough. But Friday was beautiful. Friday, you know, we um, went out and played nine holes of golf and had dinner afterwards. It was absolutely beautiful. It was great, great. Give me give me last Friday. You know, three hundred days out of the year. I would if I could. All right. All right. I'm not going to hold you responsible. We do have Brewers baseball coming up uh, about 235. So we've got another half hour or so. And and this has been, you know, we're talking about the Brewers and the stadium in the future. But the, the present Brewers, um, they're, 
what, 13 and 5, I, I think. And, you know, they're just they're wrapping up a, a 10-game Western swing, Arizona and then San Diego and then up to Seattle. And Arizona's a good team. Seattle's a re- uh, San Diego's a really good team. I don't, don't know much about Seattle, but the Brewers, I, I said at the beginning, if they could, if they could go 500, if they could win five games out of 10, that, that would be, that would be a very good thing because these <clears throat> West Coast or Western road swings were always difficult. And they've already won six out of nine games. And, you know, if they win today, it's seven out of 10, but it's, it's just it's fun to watch this team. Some of these young players that we've been hearing about for years are are now they're they're back. They're, they've made it to the major leagues, and it's kind of fun to watch. And it's an exciting team. And I'm very much looking forward to this season. I went in kind of curious. Now they've had some injuries, and you know, obviously, for them to do really really well and advance into the playoffs, they're going to need you know to be healthy, and they're going to need a healthy Brandon Woodruff and things like that. But um, at least so far. Not too much you can say to criticize the Brewers as far as their performance. All right, here, here's here's the deal, and it's interesting that the story broke because I had one of these experiences yesterday. So I'm I'm down. My wife and I are are in our basement, and um, we got I got a really big basement for a change. The house I lived in, Whitefish Bay, had this tiny basement, but now where I am, it's got this huge basement. And one of my sister my sister in law Maggie, um, she lives. Now in Bonaire, which is one of the islands, it's the ABC islands, you know, like Aruba and Bonaire and Curacao, kind of off Venezuela. And her, her husband is from Bonaire and stuff like that. Well, when they, they left Wisconsin and moved to, to Bonaire, they stored a bunch of stuff in, in our basement. So now we're at the point of, of kind of going through it and determining, okay, what, what, what do you want and, you know, what, what should we get rid of. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of making those decisions. So I was down in the basement yesterday and I was kind of taking off a lot of these, these plastic boxes and taking them off shelves so that Maggie and my wife, Fran, could go through them and all so he could access them. And I saw this thing on, on one of the top shelves and my wife said, what is that? And I started to, I said, I'm not sure what that is. She said, I don't think that's theirs. I think it's yours. And I looked at it and what it was, was a complete collection of all six seasons of Breaking Bad, you know, the, the, the TV show. And at some point in time, years ago, I had I was a big fan of Breaking Bad, and I had ordered this—it's all DVDs. And it's—again, it's all the DVDs of Breaking Bad and some of these special features, and it's all in, like, one container. And I'm sure it cost a bunch of money. I don't even remember how much it cost, but these DVDs. And I'm saying, oh, it's these—it's it's a DVD collection— and then I, I got that look that I get a lot around the house, which is, okay, well, you didn't even know that this was there. What are we going to do with it? Meaning, don't you think maybe it's time to move this on and maybe we take it to, you know, donate it somewhere or, or whatever? Because are you seriously going to ever watch this again, given the fact that we have all these streaming services and if you ever want to watch you know, Breaking Bad, you, you can you, know, you can access it on whatever streaming service it's on that I'm sure that we have. So why are we keeping these, these DVDs here? And I said, okay, well, let me just, let me put it over here and we'll, <laughs> you know, I'll think about it. But I, I've been thinking about this, you know, since the issue came up last night, because the truth of the matter is, you know, I, over the years, I accumulated all sorts of, you know, DVDs and things like that, Blu-ray discs, whatever. And I can't remember the last time that I watched one of them. Certainly not in the last couple of years, because there's so much stuff to watch right now that 
There's just so much stuff to watch. They don't have enough time to watch all the current stuff and all the new stuff that's coming out. I don't have enough time to do that. And when I want to watch movies with all the different streaming services that we have access to, and candidly, we'll probably always have access to, I, it's, I, I don't, there's no need for me to go rooting through you know, my, my DVD selection to try to find something. And I do have, I've got a Blu-ray disc player, and it's hooked up to one of the TVs, but just you know one of the TVs. Now, I was thinking about this because... Netflix, which is the largest streaming service that, that is out there. Um, Netflix, let's see, added, let's see, 7.7 million subscribers. Get this. Netflix has a subscriber base of 232.5 million people around the world. Wow. They last quarter, fourth quarter, they added 7.7 million subscribers. So, I mean, Netflix, big deal, this giant streaming service. For those of you who don't know, though, Netflix started out they started out by like being like this little this red package thing. They were the ones that their business started by sending renting DVDs through the mail. The deal was that you know you subscribe to the DVD service and you could order you know DVDs. They would send them to you in the mail. The Netflix and at one point in time, 2010, which was the peak of all this. They had roughly 20 million people that were subscribed to their DVD service. Um, yesterday, the company announced that the DVD service is ending. They will ship their final DVDs to customers on September 29th. So, you know, that's that's it. And the, the DVD service has ended. Now, there's some people who are really, really disappointed about this because they say, well, you know, we, we, we still like the DVDs. Or we live in a remote area where Internet reception is not good, so, you know, we have trouble with the streaming. But nevertheless, Netflix has said, no, it, this is just no longer profitable. It's uh, an, an anachronism, and, and it's done. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. Here is my question. Are DVDs still relevant to you? I mean, do you still regularly, I don't know, use DVDs, go back, watch movies there, or have you moved on to streaming? And I, I say this honestly, I don't, I don't remember the last time, and it certainly hasn't been in a couple of years. I got all these DVDs. I don't remember the last time that I actually, you know, put something in that Blu-ray disc player and figured out how to bring it up on the inputs, and, and watched it. So even though I invested all this money, spent all this money over the years in DVDs, I just flat out don't use them. And if my wife is listening to this, I'm not going to have a good justification for not donating this Breaking Bad set that I have. 855-616-1620. Netflix says we're done with renting the DVDs. Is this the end of DVDs? Have DVDs effectively outlived their usefulness? Are they the eight-track tapes of the 2020s? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Uh, yesterday, Netflix announced <clears throat> that, it, that it's it's Redbox service where you can rent DVDs in the mail. They're, they're discontinuing it um, effective, what did I say, September 29th. So they're discontinuing it. This is how Netflix started out. They say we're going exclusively streaming. My question is, DVDs, 
Are, are they going to are they going to be going the way of the eight track tapes? Here's a text, Jeff. I definitely still use DVDs. Sometimes it's just fun to pop in an old show or movie without streaming. I do that as well, but some shows are easier to find by grabbing the DVDs. Jeff, I too have a lot of DVDs, so I don't get to, <clears throat> but I don't get to. But some also are ones I revisit every once or year or so. They're still handy because I may not subscribe to the stream, streaming service that has the particular film on it. Jeff, my wife and I like the convenience of streaming services, but we make sure to buy our favorite movies and shows on Blu-ray. Otherwise, the streaming services delist something we want to watch, and we're out of luck. Let's start with Denise in East Troy. Denise, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Denise. Um, I just want to make a point that not every streaming service has the DVD you want. I I have a lot of streaming services. I cannot find the movie Mask with Cher in mm-hmm. it for nothing. It's only on DVD. So I I love the movie, and I cannot find it on streaming, and I'm going to have to buy the DVD because I don't have the DVD. Okay. But... Not every every streaming channel is going to have the TV you want to watch or the movies you want to watch. Yeah, I, and I think I mean, no, thanks for calling. That that's a that's an that's an argument I guess you you can make. Having said all that, and, and look, I I have I have a couple. I hope my wife isn't listening to this because she's a minimalist. I have I have several boxes of, of DVDs that I accumulated over the years because if you listen to the show, you know I'm a big movie fan and things like that. And, and I got to admit that. I mean, I don't have them cataloged. I, I don't even I don't even know what I, I have. And I guess I haven't missed the stuff because typically when I think, okay, well, I, I want to watch this movie or that movie, if if it's an older movie, I'm able to, I've been able to find it on the streaming services. And there might I, I appreciate that. There might be the unicorn that, that's not out there. But I guess I just I, I've got them all in a box. Matter of fact, that's what one of our texters says. Jeff, I have hundreds of DVDs and music CDs. I moved them out of my den, and now they're sitting in boxes in the garage. It's kind of a sad in a way, sad in a way. But the truth is, I mean, technology moves on. Jeff, I too have a lot of DVDs I don't get to, but also some I revisit once every year or so. They're still handy because I may not subscribe to the streaming service that has the particular film on it. I also like to loan them out to friends. Um, well, you you do. You do have that. I'm. I'm just curious. I guess, and I wonder. Maybe this is kind of a generational thing as well. I know our first caller, Denise, was saying that she's still buying DVDs. I wonder if there's a lot of people that are still doing that, or whether it's people like me who are are holding on to our DVDs. I, you know, this is going to motivate me to go through them. It, it is, and see what's there. Let's talk to Jim in West Dallas. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi. Uh, one of the things I was going to mention is, you know, with streaming services, you've got to have a, a good internet service. Yep. We literally had to upgrade to, like, one of the um, better or more powerful internet services because we did want to stream. The issue is, is there's uh, movies, like me and my wife just absolutely love The Sandlot. We must have seen it 15 times, and... We went on to stream it. It was there, but the streamer, whoever it was, and I don't remember what company it was, we literally had to rent it for like five ninety nine. Yeah. I mean, if I got to rent Sandlot every time I want to watch it, I might as well just go out and buy the DVD because it'll probably be on sale. Right. So 
as far as the DVD going by the way of the Dodo bird yet, I, I just don't see it. I, I I, I just don't see it yet. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, and I'm sure there. It, it, I mean, it's kind of like you know, albums are making a comeback and, and things like that. I I think that there's a market for this, and I understand if there's like if you've got some of these movies that you watch over and over and over again. But I, I'm willing to bet if you're like me, you know, and you go through the, these boxes of videos, my my guess is that there's a lot of ones that maybe you bought and you watched once and you haven't watched them again in the last 15 years, and they're kind of readily available, or you didn't like them that much. And so I guess the question becomes, do you continue to like leave them in that box in your basement where they're, they're, they're not harming anything? That's what I, told, I always tell my wife. We've got a big basement. You know, what the heck? And she'll just kind of look at me and saying, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to die at some point in time, and then, you know, the, the kids or whatever, they're going to be the ones saying, hey, look, you know, uh, Jeff had this, this huge box, and we're going to have to deal with this. Jeff, funny you brought this up. We were cleaning out an office desk and found a Netflix DVD. I looked at my account, and I'd had it for eight months, canceled our DVD service, but kept the streaming. Um, Jeff, I have two bins of VHS tapes in the garage that I never watch, and I do have a few VCRs yet. They're all old games that I taped in the 80s, 90s, etc. They're kind of cool to look at once in a while um, with Favre or whoever's playing, but um, still, it's it's pretty much, you know, in the DVDs. Jeff, I buy DVDs at rummage sales and thrift stores and use them when we go up north. No internet where we go. Well, I, right, and I guess that's, that to me is, is the market. If you live, you know, in, in populated areas where the internet is readily available, it, it's... It's tough to justify, I think, buying new DVDs. Now, if you choose to do it, God bless you. That, that's fine. But I do, I mean, I guess I could understand that if you live in a rural area where Internet service is spotty and things like that and the streaming services don't come in very well. Well, I mean, DVDs continue to be more relevant. But, um, you know, I, I just, I, again, it, it's one of those deals where if you're like me and you think about this, I, I've got boxes. I don't know what I have. And I think I'm kind of motivated now that maybe I'm going to go through it and just see, okay, are there, are there movies that I think there's a realistic chance? It's like clothes. You know, that, that's the truth. I, I have all sorts of clothes in closets. But what do they say? They say if you, haven't, if you haven't worn something in a year, you know, the chances that you're going to wear it are, are not that great. And I, th- I think that's true. I think it's fair to say that, okay, we moved into the house we're living in now. We moved there like five years ago, and I moved all the DVDs in the box. I think it's fair to say, okay, if you haven't watched the movie in five years, what are the chances in the last five years? What are the chances that you're going to watch it in the next five years? That is a fair question. But regardless of how you answer that, um, if you're used to renting DVDs through Netflix, which is how they got started in the first place, that that business it's going to be over. So if you want to if you want to order some more stuff in the mail, you've got till the end of September. After that, um, well, it's it's history.